0: One of the reasons I have our elders preach, whether it's Ian or Warren or our staff, is as I want you to know, and I'm here when that happens, I want you to know that I know how easy it would be to replace me. (laughs) There's a lot of people who can do what I do. I can't necessarily do what they do, but they can easily do what I do. And as we think about that, God's Word is available for us to know and to understand, it's, it's doable, it's readable, and it's, it's something that can be understood and applied in a person's life. If you were here with us last uh, Lord's Day, you'll uh, remember that in the midst of his message, uh, Warren uh, told a story about a lion and elephants. Those remember that? Remember that story? So I thought I'd begin with another elephant story. Uh, there were uh, some people who were working with youth, and uh, their youth was going to be going off pretty soon to, uh, to school, you know, school's starting real soon, isn't it, right? Uh, well, anyway, so they decided to do one other event before school started, so they went to the zoo, I don't know if it was the LA Zoo, but, or the San Diego Zoo, but uh, the three leaders were kind of hanging out together, and as they were uh, going around, they, they got to the elephant cage. And as they got the elephant cage, they started kind of messing around. They caused this huge commotion, so big, that they had one of the officers come in, in the park, and escort them off uh, to the, the security place. And as, they, as, the, as the officer brought him to the place where he was going to be, they were going to be interviewed and kind of uh, asked a bunch of difficult questions, the security officer, who wasn't there at, at the zoo, began asking some very simple questions. And he began to say, well, give, give me your name and what you're doing. And so he asked the first boy, our uh, first uh, young man, and he said, Well, my name's Mark Johnson, and all I was doing is throwing peanuts in the elephant cage. And so then he turned to the next uh, young man, and he said, Well, my name is Brandon McDade, and, and all I was doing was throwing peanuts into the, into the elephant cage. And then he turned to the third person, who looked a little bit more nervous than the other th- three, uh, two, and he said, Well, my name is Steve Morris, and uh, my friends call me peanuts. <laughs> Well, as bad as that story is, uh, some of you groan and some of you laugh, and what I want to say to you, it's all right to laugh in church, it's all right to smile in church, because God wants us to understand that we should be full of life more than anyone else on this planet. In fact, uh, I know you're not necessarily uh, uh, aware of all the significant people in this world that pass away, uh, particularly in the religious world, but John Stott, just a number of weeks ago, uh, passed away, and he was kind of labeled by Christianity Today as the number one evangelical theologian over the last uh, 50 years. But it's interesting, when he came to America, he's actually in the UK area as far as his teaching and preaching, his influence, and in his, uh, his influence really went around the world. But when he uh, spent some time in America, and he visited seminaries throughout the nation, and they asked him, well, what did you discover? And he said, oh, a number of things that I was really impressed with, but one thing that I discovered is that a lot of seminarians they'll need to lighten up a little bit. <laughs> they need to realize that their the Christian life needs to be filled with joy. Yes, we're dealing with serious issues. We're dealing with life and death and eternity. But we, as those who represent God, we ought to be filled with more joy than anyone else. And really throughout the Scripture, the Bible emphasizes that. In Psalm 1611, uh, the psalmist writes that in the presence of uh, the Lord is fullness of joy. And his pleasures are forevermore. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, right after there was a revival among the people of Israel, as Nehemiah and Ezra read the word of God to them, they were filled with sorrow because they weren't measuring up to to God's standard. But Nehemiah comes and says, will you quit weeping? (laughs) Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then when you get in the New Testament, you recognize that Jesus, as he taught, and he, he would speak right to the heart and would cut to the heart. He also would say to those who would follow him, these things I have spoken to you that you might have joy, that you might have my joy, and that your joy be, may be made full. We, we see the New Testament writer speaking about the fruit of walking with God in an in a intimate way. And the fruit of, of walking with God is called the fruit of the Spirit. It begins, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and the next fruit is What? Joy. And so as we think about being God's people, and being God's people, we ought to be filled with joy. But but what is joy? Because we live in the midst of a world and in, in, in our own lives that, that gets broken. And how can we joy when the how can we be joyful when things around us are are going down rather than up? I was even listening to some things in terms of the challenge of, of, of being people who smile from the heart. And I wrote these things down. How do you find joy when it's buried under the pile of pain, broken relationships, abuse, unmet expectations, failing dreams, a horrific past, a sobering present, and a look into the future which is more discouraging than encouraging? How can you call us to joy when, when things are more wrong than right? We know that's the challenge and God has said in so many different ways. He said, I counted all joy through, through James, even when you encounter various trials because things are given into your life for a purpose. I was reading a variety of definitions of joy and here's one that really that struck me at least straightforwardly. And it said, joy is the place in which a person's life is lived and the flag symbolizing God being the master and the control of your life is flying boldly in the wind. Joy is not a sense of a silly smile filled with happiness because the circumstances are happening around you that they just naturally cause you to laugh or have fun. But it's that sense, that inner sense in which you know that life is full of what God offers you because He is in control. And that whatever happens to your life is an adventure. What's going to happen next that I can trust God with and see that there's something more to life than just, just things or, or circumstances or random experiences? The the life is here for a purpose, and I can trust God that that he has my good in mind and his glory. Uh, The Bible says that we can count all things as good because God loves us and has called us according to his purpose. But but as we think about joy, as we think about that, that internal smile from the heart, knowing that God is always in control, We need to recognize, for us to experience it, that we need to look for that joy in life. Because it is true, if you're not looking for something, you probably will never find it. And the reason we often are under the pile, rather than on top of the pile, is we're not looking for God in the midst of whatever is going around us. So this morning we're going to look at a little book called Philippians, it's only four chapters in length, and in it, it speaks about joy. In fact, the reason we know that, and it speaks about so many other things, is because the word joy or rejoice is said over and over and over again. In fact, 16 times in every chapter, he speaks about joy or rejoicing. So you recognize that's on his mind. Now, again, just to put it in context, we need to understand that that he knows what it means uh, to have joy be a challenge in your life. One is his present experience. He was in prison as he was writing this letter. It's one of the four prison epistles. And also, even his remembering of this place he was writing to. If you want to read the backstory of the book of Philippians, read Acts chapter 16. Skip the first few verses, and then you'll, you'll kind of see the whole story here. Paul goes in this town called Philippi, which, is, which was named after the father of Alexander the Great, Philip, of, uh, Philip II of Macedonia, Macedon. And, and as he goes into this little town, he, he does not find people of faith. In fact, actually, he's just being led by God. And he finds someone at the drinking fountain. Actually, interesting enough, the, the place Philippi was called Little Fountains because there are fountains everywhere. And at the drinking fountain, really it was a river, Ganges River, there was a woman there. And her name was Lydia. And he strikes up a conversation with Lydia, brings her into his oikos, they begin to relate, to talk, and she is hungry for spiritual things. And as he unveils the message of Jesus, she runs to faith. And then as she runs to faith, she brings her friends with her. And as they all come to faith, what happens is, let's open up my home and start a life group. And that's what happened. The church of Philippi started in her home. And, and from there, a church that is a blessing to Paul, even when he is in prison, is birth. In fact, many ways, and one of, one of the challenges of giving a, a one-sermon, one-study look at an entire book is you, you leave so much out. But as as Paul writes to them, really, it's a a little thank you note. I I just want to thank you because in the midst of all the other churches that could have helped me while I was in prison, because I still had needs though I was in prison, you and you alone were really the one who who rallied to support me. But as he looks back at that, it's interesting, he had both good memories and bad memories of Philippi because as he has this dramatic revival happening with Lydia and her friends and a church's birth and and God brings people to faith of, of both genders and all economic standings uh, categories uh, there was a reaction and, and the reaction wasn't all positive it was all negative in fact he is he is surrounded by a mob beaten and thrown in prison and, and so you could you could think well why you know, I know you had good things happen in Philippi, but there were some bad things that happened as well. But here was a man who learned to live life filled with joy, a smile from the heart, believing that God was in control. And no matter what happened to life, it was an adventure to experience life to its fullest. And that's really a great definition of joy as well, It's understanding that life can be lived to its fullness. When you understand that God's in the midst of everything. But as we think about experiencing joy, this is what we're going to see in the time that we have left. We're going to see that, that we need to look for, well, how does God bring joy in our life? Where does it trigger? Because there's so many things in life that either happen or not, uh, does not happen based on what, what, what motivates us or what begins us to remember what we can experience. And so what we see in these 16 references about joy, at least six principles of, of looking and finding joy in the midst of no matter what is going on in your life. Whether you are in prison or whether you have been in prison, whether those around you have left you, whether people in your life bringing you Sadness rather than joy. How do you find joy in the midst of whatever is going on in your life? Well, if you have your Bibles, look at Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking at some passages that are in your outline, but we'll add a few things to those as well. All right. Where do you find joy? First of all, find joy in people you are thankful for who really get it. Look at what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 3 through 5. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, and, and just stopping there for a moment. Are there people in your life when when they just come to your mind, you're just you're just thankful for? I mean, it, it, it's just that man. Oh yeah, that man. I'm just I'm just so I'm so glad I know them. Paul had a list of people like that. In fact, he kind of amplifies his understanding of those people by his first phrase in verse four. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all, what? Joy. Now, prayer, prayer is a privilege, but sometimes prayer is just W-O-R-K. It's just work. Where you know you need to pray for this person, and it's a kind of a person that's it's struggling or, or disappointing to you, and you're, okay, I'm going to pray for them, or I'm going to support them, whatever it might be. But there's some people, as you pray for them, you're just, you're just overwhelmed with a smile in your heart. Because of what they mean to you. And what they mean to you is so filled with joy because they get it. Now, how do we know that they get it? Because look at verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this very thing, that he who began a work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, I want you to know, because from the very first, we had a fellowship with the gospel. Now, If you have your own Bible, circle that word fellowship. That word fellowship is the same word that we're going to experience and participate in in a few moments. It's it's the word communion. The word communion is used to describe the Lord's table. It can also be translated fellowship. And it's that which we have in common. And when we remember the bread and the cup together, what we're saying is that we together believe this is true. And that our life has been marked by a relationship what Jesus did on the cross for us when he died and rose again. And we have that in common, when we have it in common, it brings us joy. And what he was saying, we have that fellowship, that communion, that that common participation, and that which really matters. And you really got it. Because that's what your life is now centered on. And when people really get something, it brings you joy. Now, now that's true on a and uh, uh, every level of life. You know, for for those of you who are parents, and when your children are real young, and when you're, when you're taking to that little throne room when you put them on and they finally get it, <laughs> it brings you joy, doesn't it? If you teach anyone a, a new tr- uh, lesson, whether you're a coach and you're teaching them a a skill on the court, or whether you're a, a math teacher and you're trying to help them understand an equation, when they get it, it brings you joy. And as Paul, who was the, the father of their faith, when he taught the truth and they got it, it brought them. It brought him joy. Uh, now, look, look at verse 7 for a moment. Just it is right for me to think of this, you all, because I have you in my, what, heart. Inasmuch as both in my prison chains and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. And that's where I get that definition of joy is the smile from the heart. He says, I I want to understand the reason I I thank God for you and every remembrance of you. The, The reason you bring me joy is because I have you in my heart. And the reason I have you in my heart because we have something in common. It's the fellowship of the gospel. It's the fellowship of grace. It's Jesus. And here was a group of people who really got it. Now this sermon could also be flipped on the other side and and looked at not only how you get joy, but how your joy often often can be taken from you on a natural level. You know anybody who doesn't get it? Now we're talking people in the church now who don't get it. I, I, I mean, they're there, but... But you're not sure they're all there. When you talk about fellowship with the gospel, they, they have no concept of, of what that really means, that their life need to be, needs to be centered on it. Now, now, there's a new little verse card in your bulletin. You all saw that? Put in a place where you wouldn't lose it because you want to memorize it this week. <laughs> Remember that? Or at least this whole month. And it really speaks about Participation in the gospel, which is really a participation in Jesus. And that verse says this, Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And then here's the, here's the kicker here. That in all things he might have preeminence. These are the people who get it. That Jesus ought to be the center of their life. He is preeminent over everything else. And when you're around Christians like that who get it, man, it just brings you joy. And when people who just, they're just on the surface and they don't get it, it breaks your heart. You can have joy by finding people who get it. There are going to be people who don't get it. But focus on the people who get it and find joy in them. He goes on, or at least throughout the book, that the joy principle begins to flood out. And looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, he writes, What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I, I will rejoice. And the principle there is this, yeah, find joy even with people who don't really get it, get it out. Now, now here's a different type of group of people that, that don't really get it. They might be participating in a lot of things, but as you see their participation, you see there's, there's not, something's not right with them. It seems that their motives are mixed. And sometimes they're doing it for show, and sometimes they're doing it to get other people's attention, and they want people to be impressed with them and not impressed with what they're talking about. And this happened to the Apostle Paul earlier in that that section right before that. He's in prison. He said, you know, as I've been in change, some people are really, their, their, their faith is built up because they see me faithful, and because I'm faithful in the prison, they'll be faithful outside of prison. But it says, not everyone's like that. Some people are taking advantage of this, and when I'm, I'm kind of out out of the circuit, they think, "This is my, my, my time to shine." And, and they try to deme- demean what I'm doing and, and, and try to elevate themselves. He said, "But I don't really care. I, I don't care who gets the credit. I'm not impressed with, with people looking at me in, in a higher way than somebody else. Remember in Corinth where people were saying, well, you're of Cephas and you're of Apollos and some are of Paul and some are of Christ and the whole trying to figure out who, who's more important than somebody else. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is the message is being delivered. It's not about the messenger, it's about the message. And one of the things that, one of the reasons we push oikos for all of us is that that we need to recognize for for some people, we are the best messenger for them. You know, they don't need to hear Billy Graham, they need, need to hear you. And when we think about even going into a community, we're going to be going to some neighborhoods where people are moving in. And we just want, in a friendship way, to say, hey, we've got a free gift for you We're a church down the street, and if there's any way we can help you, and just get to know them. And what's great about that kind of a ministry is anybody can do it who can walk and put their hand out. And I want to urge you to this Saturday, come at 9 o'clock. You can do it. And the great news is that brings joy... When people, even people who who haven't arrived, but they want to get it out, that's why we're here. Find joy in in people that you're thankful for who really get it, and find joy in people even, even who don't really get it but are getting it out in any way possible. And then we get into the heart and life of of Paul. In fact, some say that this is, this is one of his more personal letters because you kind of you see his passions. And the third principle I want to share with you this morning is, is we need to find joy in those who live to make your life better. Uh, we can all think about people who don't want to make our life better. They want to make it miserable. They're the ones bringing us down, not lifting us up. And, and some say the people... The natural level where people in your life are dedicated to make your life better are mothers, right? Isn't that what the role of the mother is, to make everyone in the home's life better? But it shouldn't happen just in the home with the mothers. There ought to be other people in your life that you recognize when you're with them. They're not centered upon themselves. They're others-centered. Some of you who grew up in Sunday school, remember the Sunday school definition or vacation Bible school definition of joy? It was an acronym, Jesus first and others second. And yourself, no, first, second. Well, we're going to start this message all over if you can't track that. Okay, the old definition of joy is Jesus first, others second, yourself third. All right? These are the kind of people that bring joy to your life. And the whole point this morning is that we can focus on the people who aren't this way or we can focus on the people in your life who are this way. And we can also see our part in this whole plan is that we want to be people like this who really get it, who really get it out, who live to make other people's lives better. And so often we get preoccupied, well, I want my life better. See, that's, that's missing what joy is about. It's making other people's lives better. And you'll receive joy from that. And, and where is this illustrated? Look at, look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 24-26. through 26. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is, is more need, needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. Now, that sounds like a kind of a a complicated storyline here, but he's simply saying this. You know, I'm in prison now, and when I've been in prison this length of time, I'm beginning to wonder, you know, I'm longing for that glorious day while I'll be in the presence of Jesus. In fact, earlier in the same chapter, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain." And after a while, we get kind of tired. I got asked this question. Do you ever get tired of being a pastor? And when I was asked that question, I, I, I didn't answer it for a while. You know, I go, how do I answer that? You know, I want to act spiritual, so how do I answer that? You know, there, there are times when you just get tired in just doing what you're doing. And the Apostle Paul had times where he got tired. And he recognized, look it, when when I get to heaven, all these struggles are going to be gone. But he said, I, I need to understand that the joy in life is giving. And he said, I want you, and, and I understand that when I give of my life to you, your life gets better. And, and your, your joy is multiplied. And you know what happens? My joy is multiplied. And, and so again, we need to, to remember there are people in our lives that bring us joy. I was out to, uh, to dinner with the mayors this week, and I don't remember Dan mentioned it. I won't mention the person's name, but he, he, he named a person in our church. You know, that per- I'm so impressed. It wasn't me. But he was, just, he was so impressed with this person, this person in our church. I wish I could be like him. You see, when he said that, it was, it was a person that brought joy to his life. And see, this is what brings the adventure of life into all that God had planned for us is that we gain life when we give it away. Sounds like something Jesus said, right? You know, if you're going to get this life and uh, fullness of life, then, then give it away. Be the kind of people that that your life is given for others. And just in just case you want another example, there's, there's a man named Epaphroditus who actually was the, the man who was sent from the church at Philippi to to Rome to give Paul a gift from the the Christians at Philippi. And then when he went there, he went through all kinds of hardship and, and Paul is sending him back. But this is how he described him. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 28 through 30. And this is just kind of hitting the back story of it. But he says this, Therefore I sent him, Epaphroditus, the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice. And again, that theme of rejoicing. And I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness or joy and hold such men in high esteem. It's all right to look at at people as being mentors or people as examples that bring joy to your life. Then look at verse 30. Because the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. He was willing to risk his life for the sake of others and it brought Paul joy and he said, as you receive him back, it will bring you joy. Where do you find joy? You find joy in people who really get it. You find joy in people who get it out. You find joy in people who live to make other lives better. Jesus first. Others second. And then yourself third. But then Paul begins to meddle a little bit, and he speaks about okay, the life in the group, not just individuals but within the group. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, and here's the joy part, verse 2. Fulfill my joy. In other words, give me fullness of joy. But how? By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, you know, what's the simple point there? Find joy in God's people being unified and loving one another. You know, Rodney King, can't we all just get along, right? Uh, you know, we, we have a Baptist heritage in, in, our, uh, in our history as a church and still have a connection with Baptist churches. But, you know, a lot of Baptist churches are known in the, in the communities as that's a, church, that's a place where you can go and get a good fight where you can get around people who can't agree on anything, who, who divide on the most simplest or mundane things. And, and what he's saying here, it, when it means to be unified, it really comes from a, a Greek word to say, think the same way. And it's really understanding you know, what things are important, what things are not important. You don't sweat the little things. Be concentrated on, on what is most important. That we're to love one another. We we ought to be unified. You know, as parents or as children, for that matter, I, we've all had times where the family's not getting along. You ever had that experience? In our uh, in our tradition as a family, we, we took our our family camping. I wish I could say for a lot of spiritual reasons, but because it was cheap, it was real cheap to take our kids camping. So we went camping, but but we really got to really enjoy it. But when you throw four kids in the, in a van, that's you know and no air conditioning, and you're driving up Fresno, I mean, it gets hot, and you know, there, there what? <laughs> we had some adventures there, and then we'd get camping, and as soon as you get there, they all want to run out to play, and, and whatever it might be, well, I two of my kids, well, I had four kids, two of them were twins, though they weren't really the same age, they're four years apart, and they were different genders, Cindy and Mark, all right, and I remember one time we were camping up at Hume Lake, and, and I got back there, and they were just in the biggest fight, all right, just I just couldn't, I mean, they were just yelling at each other, you know, and it, and it was all about who was going to go pick up the the skateboard left at the at the, the arc down where they had this place you can skateboard or whatever like that, and they were yelling and screaming, at me, it's your skateboard, you pick it up, Why well, I loan it to you, but I didn't say I was going to bring it back, you know, that whole time, I think so, <laughs> so, so you're thinking, I mean, they are at, they're about ready to kill each other over a skateboard, um, I believe in capital punishment in the home. But anyway, <laughs> is that, is, but, you know, think about it. Look at how many times in the home, and when you look back, and the things that they would just get so angry at each other. Was it really about important things? Now, what we would do, we would tie them together the whole week, so they had to be together the whole week, so they would learn <laughs> to love one another. But not exactly that way. But the, is <laughs> it, it, people need to learn to, to love one another. And I can say right now, Mark and Cindy are the, uh, not only brothers and sisters, but they're the best of friends. And there's no more joy to see my four kids loving on one another. And if that happens to an earthly father, how much more to a heavenly father when God's people are unified and loving one another? It doesn't mean that issues don't have to be confronted and dealt with and and try to measure it out as best as possible. But in the end, I mean, let's sweat the big things, not the little things. So how do we find joy? We find joy in in people who really get it. We find joy in people who get it out. We find joy in in people who live to make other lives better. It's, It's others first, right after putting Jesus at the center of their life. It's learning to be committed to, to loving one another and being unified, even when we agree to disagree. And then it's finding joy in investing in your life what is eternally important. Now, this is similar to the third point, but I, I wanted to make it a separate point because the, the imagery that Paul gives in his, in his, in his passage find joy and invest in investing your life in what is eternally important. He writes. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, the word pictures there don't necessarily come to mind other than you see some words that pop out at you. He's talking about joy and being glad. And in that, he puts in the Mixture, offering, and sacrifice, and service. Now, normally those things don't go together. Let's go out and be sacrificial, and we're going to really smile about that. Let's give an offering, and now we're going to be smiling about that. Let's go out and really, really serve, and I'm going to be joyful about that. But that's the word images there, and and it really speaks. They had a background there, a little bit about uh, putting together an offering into God in which the aroma of it would just go heavenly and, and God would be well pleased. But he's telling them very bluntly, as I make a sacrifice, it's really not a sacrifice. As I serve you, it's, it's not out of compulsion, but it's a pleasure for me to give my life. Because I'm investing in that which will last forever. Paul in Philippians 3, and we're not even hardly talking about Philippians 3 today, but he says, you know, all the things I used to do, I count that like rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ and, and giving my life to others. And how could he say that? Because he was investing in that which was eternal. And he found joy in that. John Piper writes that a Christian who really gets it gets it could actually be called a hedonist. Now, if you're familiar at all with philosophy, a hedonist is a person who lets eat, drink, and be merry for today we live and tomorrow we die. You know, he lives for pleasure. Whatever... Excites that person, he goes after it. He said, Really, the Christian who really understands that the greatest source of joy is in the Lord, even when we make great sacrifices, there is no greater joy because you're investing in that which will last forever, and he will multiply that which is good in your life. So then even when you're sacrificing and serving and offering, it's it's a source of joy. In your bulletin, I put this quote by Jim Elliott, who gave his life on the mission field. He is no fool that loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When we invest in God's word, it lasts forever. But maybe if you're like me, you're thinking, well, okay. I'm supposed to find joy by looking for it and find some people get it. Okay, they, they bring me joy and find some people get it out. Okay, they give me joy. I find people who make my life better because they're they're servants and I, I can see that and they get it. You know, I, I need to be a person who 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 finds joy when people are unified and, and loving. I, I need to invest in that which is eternal. But but sometimes you know, it just it just uh, even with that, it, joy is lost. Well, Paul leaves the final piece of that puzzle that that actually is the is the jewel by which our joy is constant. In the last two book chapters in this book. Uh, real quickly, Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. But let me give you the point first. Find joy in the one who is the source of all joy. Uh, in Philippians 3 1 he says this, finally my brethren, and just a quick note here You know what a preacher says, finally? You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. All right, he can go on and on and on. He had two more chapters after he said finally. Finally, finally, my brethren, rejoice where? In the Lord. See, that's the source of our joy. One one preacher put it this way. What What does rejoice mean? It means return to the source of your joy. What is the source of your joy? People can disappoint you. You can disappoint yourself. You can be you can be overwhelmed by what is around you, but the joy of the Lord found in him is constant. Rejoice in the Lord. And then that famous passage in Philippians 4.4, 4, where he says rejoice again in the Lord, and then he tells us how often we ought to do that? How often? Always. Always. And then in case you didn't quite get it then, rejoice in the Lord, how often, always... I'm not sure exactly... What did you mean by that? Again, I say what? Rejoice. Rejoice. So the only way that works is, is that we have to recognize that in Him, we have joy. We have that smile from the heart, believing that God is in control and that life is an adventure no matter what we're going through. And He, he wants us to follow Him and trust in Him no matter what comes our way. And in that, we can recognize that we are investing in that which is eternal. And in that, we can have a smile from the heart. We can have His joy that is fullness of joy. Let me close with this, which is the best illustration of that. Many of us have seen... um, that description of, of, of Jesus on the cross in that epic movie by Mel Gibson, and we're overwhelmed by it, the passion of the Christ. And, and you have to take a step back and say, well, wait a minute, why would God do that? Hebrews 12.2 says this, that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. And that joy are those that have the privilege of knowing him and experiencing the life that he's always intended for us to have. In the midst of a planet gone wrong, to a future that will be fully right, and experience fellowship, commonness, communication, partnership with the living God. So, the, so what this morning it is to remember that God wants us to be a people filled with smiles from the heart because there is a source, a supernatural source of joy in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we have we have joy even when we're overwhelmed with a sense of our inadequacy and our need for your grace, and really that's what the communion table is all about. When well, remember back that it was your body, that it was your blood, that was shed for us, so that we might have the opportunity to have life in your in your Son. And if there's anyone in this morning that hasn't made that step, might they recognize that the fullness of joy is found only in Jesus? And that we all need to be reminded that it all began with admitting our need, turning from our sin, believing that Jesus fully paid the price for our sin and rose again, and committing to follow Him as Lord, God, and Savior. Might we live for you in fullness of joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.